When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we've got to talk about the Sooners then and now. we got to take a look at the flaw in Nick Saban's tide and speak with Sam Pittman about what's at stake in next week's game against Texas A&M. Let's go! It's the number one ranked show. Number three, Oklahoma held off Nebraska 23-16 at home. This game was scheduled to celebrate the 1971 game of the century featuring number one Nebraska and number two Oklahoma. But the buildup didn't feel like it was going to go anything like, you know, the game of the century. A game that really Oklahoma was thought to be so good and Nebraska was thought to be so very bad that we all just kind of pushed it off to the side. Just look at Nebraska's lone loss to an Illinois team who lost to Maryland, Virginia, and Texas San Antonio. Illinois ain't very good, and we all thought that, you know, a team that lost to the Illini can't be very good either. I asked the folks on Twitter what the final score would be of OU Nebraska. I got answers like this one from Chad Foster, who said 52-14, Frost gets fired by Monday. Yeah, dog. And Luke Oakman, who said 42-14 at half, and Oklahoma eases up and wins 59-24. All right, then we get St. Berg, who said, if it's close in the second half, I lose all faith in OU. Well, Berg is in search of a new religion, because after all that, it was 7-3 at half, and again, we thought OU would lead 73-0 at half, and it was the first time that OU was held under 10 points in the first half since it was tied with Ohio State 3-3, at halftime in 2017, it also was the first time the Sooners were held to single digits in the first half at Owen Field since being held to six points by Notre Dame in 2012. I was covering that game, and James Harden was traded from the Thunder to the Rockets the same night. Then Barry Switzer, the king around here, came through bucking shots, which is the most Oklahoma thing ever. Speaking of bucking shots, We've learned that Spencer Rattler is not the gunslinger Baker Mayfield was in 2017. He's more like Baker was in 2015. He's talented. He's just not good. But he has the potential to be great. Still, OU fans were screaming, are screaming, for Caleb Williams to start at quarterback. Like I say, death, taxes, and Oklahoma fans asking to see the true freshman quarterback in a tight game. Miss me with that. But QB ain't Oklahoma's problem. Finishing games is its problem. It has a second-half problem against teams with a pulse. 
in 2020, OU led K-State 21-7 at half and lost that game 38-35. In the same year, the Sooners led Iowa State 17-6 at half and lost 37-30. They led Iowa State 24-7 at half in the Big 12 title game last year and barely held on 27-24. This season, they led Tulane 37-14 and barely held on 40-35. And then there's Nebraska today. Now, if Pat Field, who is from Tulsa, and Tulsa boys absolutely smack, didn't run back that blocked extra point attempt for two, we're looking not at a one-score game, but a game Nebraska could have won with its final possession, just like Tulane two weeks ago. And if DJ Graham hadn't made the most acrobatic INT of the century, you get it? INT of this? No, never mind. OU might have lost that game altogether, but it didn't. And you know what I think September is all about. It's about surviving and advancing. At 3-0, the Sooners did just that. And with that in mind, Adrian Martinez had just 34 yards rushing, even if he did throw for 289, and was sacked five times. All this in a game where Oklahoma didn't turn the ball over and Nebraska deliberately muddied up and slowed down the game. It wasn't pretty, and no one wants to hear it because Nebraska isn't supposed to be a good team because they lost to Illinois, but they're decent. This win was also Oklahoma's 11th straight, tied for the second longest streak in the country with Texas A&M. Meanwhile, Nebraska, baby, now you know you're good enough to play with the number three team in the country. Somehow, I think Husker fans will feel they should have won this game. And I don't think that they're going to feel any better about losing it, knowing that. All right, number one Alabama defeated number 11 Florida 31-29 in the swamp. See, I wanted to see how much Icarus Florida has in it. For those who slept during their Greek mythology elective, Icarus and Daedalus attempted to escape from the Isle of Crete with wings Daddy Daedalus created from a flock of feathers and some wave cap wax. Daddy Daedalus warned Iggy Icarus not to be complacent nor arrogant. He told Iggy Icarus not to fly too high or too low, lest the saltwater spray jam his wings with water or the sun cook his wings like a Caesar fade wrapped under a do-rag for a week straight. But Iggy Icarus ignored Daddy Daedalus and flew right up next to the sun and got cooked through to the white meat. Turns out, Florida doesn't melt in the sun, which is great because they play in Florida, a.k.a. the hot zone. And that joke has viral layers. Alabama rolled to a 21-3 lead in the first quarter, but Todd Grantham's defense tightened up, particularly against the run, and Dan Mullen's offense got busy running against a Pete Golden defense on the strength of 245 rush yards. Florida outgained Alabama in total yards, 439 to 324. Emory Jones solidified his place as a starting quarterback with 278 total yards with a rushing TD and INT and only two sacks allowed. But tied quarterback Bryce Young was just a touch better statistically, even if at times it feels like Jones outplayed Young. Young completed 22 of 35, 240 yards, three tutties to improve his TD to INT ratio to 10 to 0 while passing for at least 227 yards in each of Alabama's three games. But this narrow two-point tie victory showed how the 2021 detergent might be stained. And it starts with having talent to run with Thanos' Titans of Tuscaloosa. 
Thanos being Nick Saban. You get it. There are 1,696 men on 32 NFL 53-man rosters. 54 of those players played at Alabama. This is the fourth consecutive year that Alabama has had more players in the league than any other college program, but five of the top 20 programs with alumni in the NFL are on Alabama's schedule. Put another way, 648 players, or 38% of the NFL, comes from 20 schools, and Alabama has to play against a quarter of them. Indeed, 32 of the NFL's players played their college ball at Florida, for instance. This is why we continue to say the best college football in the sport is played in the SEC and the SEC West in particular. According to the recruiting rankings to talent composite, Alabama has or will play five of the 15 most talented teams in the entire country this year. In this game against Florida, there were a total of 20 five stars on rosters, which means there are at least 20 projected first rounders at the Swamp today, even if 14 of them play at Alabama. And with that in mind, the bottom line remains the same. Saban is 11 and 0, excuse me, is 11 and 0 all time against Mullen, and the Tide have won 32 straight against SEC East opponents dating back 11 years. But the Tide still have ranked opponents Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Auburn left, let alone a talented LSU and a feisty Mississippi State. Alabama might be the best team in America yet again, but that doesn't mean they're not going to have to earn it. But I ain't picking against them. I mean, I can't. Have you seen them? Have you seen my pick, Oklahoma? Yes, you have. Number 22, Auburn lost to number 10, Penn State, 28-20. This was the first time Auburn traveled to the Big Ten to play a Big Ten school since 1931, and it might be another 90 years before they decide to do it again. Look here. James Franklin and the Penn State Nittany Lions become just the third team in college football this year to notch not one, but two top 25 victories this year. Iowa and Alabama, of course, are the other two. This also puts at issue whether or not the Big Ten can play with the SEC. Because before the season started, we would have said Penn State, Auburn, that's a pretty even matchup. Turns out in Happy Valley, no. You ain't wanting none of these Lions, Tigers. You just got smacked. And James Franklin was out there just getting it in, man. He was having such a good time. And come October 9th, we get to find out if Penn State got what it take to come after the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so excited that we seem to have a challenger to Ohio State because, well, Ohio State has to win the Big Ten title in a way that, you know, we might have been forgiven a loss here or there, but the Big Ten East is also the second-best division in all of football. So I'm really excited to see whether or not Ohio State can keep its momentum because, as you'll note today, number nine Ohio State dispatched Tulsa 41-20. to But the day belonged to true freshman tailback Travion Henderson. He rushed for 277 yards and three tutties on just 23 rushes against my alma mater. That's 11.7 yards per rush, according to any calculator. Means legendary Buckeye tailback Archie Griffin's true freshman rushing record of 239 yards in a single game set 50 years ago belongs to Henderson. As does, you know, 
the record for the third most rush yards in a single game by a Buckeye tailback. Look, RB1 in Columbus is number 32 in your programs, and his opponents have three years left of this. Good luck. Watching some of his breakneck runs this afternoon, I thought if you changed his colors from scarlet and gray to cardinal and gold, you might see Reggie Bush. Speaking of Reggie, big news, Brady Quinn asked Coach Switzer a good question. Coach, how many times have we given Reggie Bush the ball if you had him? <laughs> I don't know if Reggie could play for it. <laughs> hey, Coach, Coach, listen. It ain't where you're from. It's what you made of, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you got a lot of kids out of California. <laughs> Reggie, you have to block. I don't like blocking, I don't like blocking. Just give me the ball in my hands. Yeah. Let me go score the points for you. <laughs> Coach Switzer got a showstopper for everybody. Reg, it ain't just you, dog. It ain't just you. The Ohio State secondary cannot say the same, though. It is a hot mess. TU quarterback Davis Brin completed 32 of 55 passes for 444 yards with two TDs and two picks against the Buckeyes secondary. This is the second consecutive game where Kerry Combs' defense has allowed at least 500 yards of offense. And Minnesota put up 495 in the season opener. Means Ohio State is giving up 500-plus yards of offense a game. It's a yikes from me, dog. The Buckeyes ostensibly have just one more game to figure things out against Akron next week before they start to play teams that look a lot like Minnesota and Oregon again in a quest to defend their Big Ten title. Shout out to my nephew, Owen Ostrowski, who plays defensive line at Tulsa and made the travel squad to Columbus as a true freshman. Love you, nephew. Wish it would have gone a little bit better for you. Number 14, Va Tech at West Virginia. And yes, West Virginia laid the smackdown on the Hokies. West Virginia knocked off Virginia Tech squad. I'd ranked inside the top 15, 27, and 21 in Morgantown. And the ears got it done on the strength of Letty Brown. Rushing for 161 on 19, had an 80-yard dash. While the Mountaineer defense sacked Hokie quarterback Braxton Burmeister six times like Trogdor. For some of y'all that know anything about Trogdor. Anyway, the Berminator. You get it. But when I look at this one, I think it's that I overrated Vitek off the strength of their win against North Carolina. West Virginia committed nine penalties for 67 yards against Vitek, converted just three of 10 third downs, and turned the ball over just, you know, twice, as if that's a small thing. Still, the facts are these. Number three, Oklahoma gets a bunch of mountain men that knocked off a ranked Vitek 27-21 today. And the Sooners look annoyingly shaky. Number 12, Notre Dame defeated Purdue 27-13 in South Bend. And to couple all that together, number eight, Cincy beat Indiana 38-24 in Bloomington. Desmond Ritter looked fine. He went 20-36 of 36 for 206 with a... TD, excuse me, 208 with a TD and a pick, but Michael Penix Jr., he was not fine. He, he was far from okay. He was 17 of 40 for 224 with two TDs and three INTs. Is Penix's second game with three picks in just three games? Like, giving him six this year? It's hard to win football games if your star quarterback insists on throwing the ball 
to the other team. That's what I'm saying. Back to Notre Dame. Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly tied Newt Rockney with his 105th win today. That's including the vacated victories with the victory against Purdue in South Bend. The Irish got 12 rushes for 91 yards out of Kyron Williams, including a marauding 51-yard run where he ran over half the defense en route to solidifying this 27-13 win to remain undefeated. Meanwhile, number 18 Wisconsin was on a bye this week. Means the Badgers have been loading up to bang on the Golden Domes for two weeks in Chicago next week. And then the Golden Domers getting undefeated and ranked Cincinnati on October 2nd. Again, off a bye. That four-leaf clover is about to get some serious work in South Bend. Number 20, Arkansas rolled to a 45-10 win against Georgia Southern. Razorback quarterback K.J. Jefferson completed just 13 passes. For 366 passing yards with three tutties against the Eagles. With the win, Arkansas joined Maryland, who beat Illinois on Friday, in starting the season 3-0 for the first time since the Obama administration. Shout out to you. The Razorbacks will play the biggest game they've played against Texas A&M since beating the Farmers 42-38 in 2011 when they both were ranked inside the top 25 next week. Bobby Petrino famously coached the Razorbacks to an 11-win season and a number three ranking before losing to LSU on the road. Arkansas finished with a Cotton Bowl win against K-State and as the number five ranked team in all America. That's on the table. If Sam Pittman's Hogs can get past Fisher's Farmers and the pit boss was kind enough to join us here on the number one ranked show to talk about how he rebuilt the program to be in this position and what a win might mean for the Fayetteville faithful. I'm joined by the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, Sam Pittman. Coach, how you doing? Buddy, I'm doing great. I hope you are, too. You always have a smile on your face, so I know you're doing good. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm fired up, and I'm especially fired up after watching y'all do what y'all did in front of a sellout house in Fayetteville against Texas, a new SEC member that you gave well, quite a warm welcome to. How did it feel in the locker room? after you know you had that W of 40 to 21, Coach? Yeah, it was unbelievable, and I was so happy. Honestly, that's why you coach. You coach for those moments when you see your players and and they're so happy. And to be honest with you, it was for the fans. It was for the players. Uh, you know, they certainly earned it. But to see the fans so excited and to have the place packed and to get Arkansas, you know, at least for one night back to where – uh, the, in my opinion, University of Arkansas should be. It was really special. Coach, one of the things that fires me up about you is just how into your players you are. And I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, as you very well know, and you recruit my kids, you recruit the area, you're from around here. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I, I want to say you've been coaching for doggone near 40 years now. Yeah. Who do you think of as your mentor? Well, you know, since I had so many different jobs, there's a bunch of them, and I took them from uh, different people. Uh, the first one that comes off my Bigsby, Oklahoma guy is Butch Davis. You know, I worked for Butch and and learned a lot about recruiting and how to treat people. And then Kirby Smart, you, you certainly uh, learned organization, practice organization, the importance of each rep, and certainly how to recruit in the SEC. I mean, it's it's uh, it's different. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's fourth and one all the time mm -hmm. in recruiting. 
And uh, then Joe Novak at Northern Illinois was one of the finest head coaches I ever worked for about uh, his office hours, how he treated people. I took a little bit from a whole bunch of people. I had 15 jobs, of course, a bunch of them there. Four of them were in high school, or excuse me, three were in high school and the fourth one at a junior college. So uh, I was the head coach at those, at those schools, but I've taken from a little bit from everybody I've worked for. I've been really fortunate. One of the things that I'm also marveling at, Coach, is just how well you put together your staff with your first big-time SEC job, getting guys like Kendall Browse, Barry Odom, holding on to them during this past offseason, which I got to believe is job number one for you. How do you evaluate other coaches in the way that you evaluate other players? Well, first of all, they have to be good people. I mean, they have to understand how to talk to kids. You know, um, at our practice, we're not – you know, I mean, we don't always do it the right way, but, if, you know, Butch Davis taught me if someone can't bring their six-year-old daughter to practice, then we're probably not the right kind of people. And and uh, it's not always that way, uh, certainly, but for the most part it is. And we want to be the loudest at practice uh, when we do something good and, uh, and we want to teach when they do something bad. Well, you have to have um, coaches that are the same way. In other words, me – me yelling and cussing at you when you do something wrong, I taught you nothing. I taught you that maybe that's what you do uh, when you get older at home or something like that. That's not, that's not what it's all about. You have to teach and you have to, uh, I tell our coaches all the time, don't be afraid of the players. In other words, talk to them and be truthful with them. And I think I hired a whole bunch of guys like that. Coach, one of the things that I love about Arkansas football is that the Razorbacks are the pro team in the state, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's pulling in the same direction. When did you know that you and Fayetteville were going to get along just fine? I think in 13. You know, first of all, uh, when I got the job here as an offensive line coach in 13, I was here 13, 14, 15. It meant so much to my family, to my parents. You know, I remember getting a job and calling them and say, hey, y'all know how to call them hogs? You know, and that, that's how I told them I got the job. And they were so excited. And, 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 you know, I was 75 miles away from here at Grove, Oklahoma, and got a little bit recruited by the Razorbacks. Not, Lou Holt's a smart man. He know, knew better than to give me a scholarship. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it meant so much to my family. Then, and certainly, you know, if it means something to your family, it becomes stronger with you. Uh, I just loved it here. I had opportunity to go to Alabama when I was here. I didn't do it because of my love for the university and the state of Arkansas. And, and so I probably knew it then. And uh, when I got the head coaching job, I certainly woke up that morning not believing that I was even in the conversation to get the job. And then by 10 a.m. in the morning, by one o'clock in the afternoon, they were somewhere in my house and we were visiting about it. Now, coach, I, I would be remiss if I didn't pick up on you, you know, being a little self-deprecating there and say, you're not an NAIA All-American. And I feel like you need to remind <laughs> the coach, the kids of that every now and again. It's like, Hey, I could play a little ball back in my day. Let's, let's not get it twisted, especially up there with the gorillas. But to that end coach, when I watch y'all play against Texas, who I thought the world of coming into that game. Oh, yeah. Y'all are so they're a good team. Yeah, right? But y'all were so fast. When did yeah. you know that, hey, we got speed everywhere? We do. You know, RJ, the first thing that I wanted to – there's two ways you can 
at your team, I'm talking about talent wise, and it's you can get big or you can get fast. Hmm. And it's a lot easier to get fast. You know, um, you, you get three or four fast guys versus 22 big guys. You know, it's just, it takes longer. So we wanted to develop who we had hmm. and we wanted to recruit bigger. And uh, so early on, we just went out for speed. We tried hmm. to find the fastest guys that liked us uh, so we could uh, amp up our team speed a little bit. And that's what we did. Well, I, hey, look, again, I look at that backfield and you can run any one of those guys, but you got a big, strong quarterback in KJ Jefferson. I want to say he's about six foot three, 245, and it's all in his lower half. When did you yeah. know that that was going to be your guy as opposed to, say, uh, a guy that came in and played well for you, like Malik Hornsby? You know what's amazing is is how little you really find out in fall camp I mean, about the quarterback because you never touch him. You know, you can't hit him. And every time somebody puts a finger on him, it, he's down. You don't run him as much because you know you're not going to get credit for any yards. You can't make any yards running the quarterback in a scrimmage because, you know, he's off limits and – is it fair for the defense? Those type things. We really found out a lot about KJ in the Rice game when he ran, you know, when he was running around there running option, he went 65 or whatever, got called back for a holding. But uh, you could see that. And I told Browse, I said, hey, we got to get, let the horse run, you know, let, let him run. You know, I call him the horse. You know, <laughs> let's ride him all day, you know. And, and uh, once he started running, what happens is people, stay out of the box hmm. cutback lane is there because they're so concerned about 255 pounds that can run running at you and i think he tried to make a statement in the texas game whenever he broke open on a third and four and he tried to run over the free safety he didn't try to juke him he didn't try to make him mess he tried to run over him and i think he was trying to make a statement like this is all night now oh uh, man and did he ever because he fell forward on that play i remember it going okay all right, quarterback's in it. Everybody's in it now. Because if quarterback's out there hitting people, you ain't got an excuse. Everybody's got to go hit somebody now. The game's uh, all about off. The, the, the game's all about confidence. Yeah. And you can get confidence by running the ball. You can get confidence by throwing it. You can get confidence by knocking somebody on their back, offensive or defense. We had to get K.J. Jefferson in that game and some confidence early. And that run – that run, he, I, I, I mean, he played out. And we threw a pick, but it was a great play by uh, the safety from um, Texas. But he got confidence from that run, and we've got to get him that early in each game. Now, I remember uh, B.J. Foster, uh, you're you going to give that one up. Like, he, he makes play, he makes play. But Made one play. of the things that I really enjoyed about watching this game was the special teams and, and the way that your kicker answered the bell. Like, I, I was looking around going – you know, that's a luxury to have in this game now, right, is to have a kicker that you trust that can go get you three points every time you're in a position to get three points. How do you feel about your special teams play so far this season, Coach? Well, you know, obviously we corrected some things that were wrong in the first game. Mm -hmm. and I love Scott Fountain. You know, Scott, Scott came with us from Georgia. You know, he was a special teams coordinator over there, and he, he decided to come over here to Arkansas. And, and uh, we just hadn't had a lot of success. You know, we missed – a lot of field goals last year, a lot of extra points. And then we we went over to Southmore and got little Cam, you know, and uh, Cam Little, I call him Little Cam. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's five for five and and uh, just er every extra point. I have so much faith in the guy and 
So, and, and, you know, we blocked a punt the other night, which someone, you know, Rice blocked one against us. We didn't have any protection issues on the punt and we covered, you know, um, Jameson's a really, really talented returner. Now. I mean, really talented. And we didn't give him any chance to do that. So played well in special teams and it starts with the punters and the kickers. And we did that well as well. I'm looking at your schedule coach. And I got to say, it's, perhaps the toughest in the country, right? Yeah. Taking apart Rice, and then you got Georgia Southern this week. But I'm also – I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You get past Georgia Southern, you get a big game against A&M and an opportunity to get the Razors backs off to 4-0 for the first time I since, two, since 2003, I believe. What do you think that would mean to the folks in Arkansas to know, hey, we don't just have a good team. We got a team that's chasing something. I think it'd mean everything. You know, the thing that we, we've done here, to be honest with you, because if you look on a piece of paper at our schedule, they don't look good. <laughs> so, and it didn't last year either. So what we try to do, we, we, we tell our kids the schedules for the fans to make their reservations and make their travel plans and all that. And our deal is we play one game at a time on the weekend. And we this weekend we have to play Georgia Southern. And if you really, and our coaches have bought in that too, because if you look at it over the long haul and, you know, you have Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, you know, Georgia, it, it doesn't, you know, it looks, it's, it, it doesn't look good, I guess is what I want to say. But each week the game, you know, it's a nationally televised game. Now the national game on CBS, the only way that that's going to be the game is if we beat Georgia Southern. And if we do that, that game will be as big as the Texas game was uh, Saturday. Last thing I have for you, Coach, and I, I promise to let you go. One of the things I combat a bunch, being from Tulsa and being from the state of Oklahoma, which I'm very proud of, is yeah, whether too. or not our boys can play some football. And obviously, you came over here to go get a few and thought they could be Arkansas Razorbacks, and they agree with you. Uh, could you tell me what you think about the quality of football in the state of Arkansas Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, those sorts of places that I feel are somewhat overlooked when it comes to players. And then they'll pop up at the Razorbacks and go beat the brakes off of Texas. You know, I think so. I, you know, obviously we played football in the state of Oklahoma. So we thought it was good football. And, and uh, there's fine, fine football coaches, high school coaches in the state, just outstanding. And a lot of them is right there in that Tulsa area, you know. Uh, but, uh, Speed, speed, good players, good players. Uh, there's places in the country that are over-recruited, and there's places in the country that are under-recruited. One of them has to be, happens to be, in my opinion, the state of Arkansas, the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Texas, obviously, is a, is a place where everybody goes. Uh, Missouri's kind of the same way with Arkansas. We are a bordering uh, recruiting state. We are what I call regional recruiting area now we'll go to florida and we'll go to different places but the majority of our football team is going to come from the states that border us and uh ones that know more about the arkansas razorback i don't ever really want to expand that a whole bunch because i believe uh, we want to stay local and it means more and the parents can see them play but the football football's football was out in georgia they just have more of them you know, there's more more players out there because of population, Atlanta and all that. 
states come out with with few players because the population's not that big, you know, and, and Oklahoma's not a huge population, Missouri, uh, et cetera, Arkansas. Well, Coach, uh, I sincerely appreciate you. It has been my pleasure to talk with you. I am excited for Arkansas football. I like college football better when the Razorbacks are beating the brakes off of people, especially if it's, you know, Texas down there in Austin. And I wish you tremendous luck this weekend against Georgia Southern and the rest of the season, Coach. Thank you so much for this. Listen, I want to tell you something. I don't know how many people believed in me whenever I got hired, but I know one that did, and that was you, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate you. All right, buddy. Go Hogs. Go Hogs, Coach. Thank you, bud. My tremendous thanks to Coach Pittman for joining the show and his terribly kind words about me. <laughs> There's nothing so powerful in this world than two men believing in each other, and I believe in Sam Pittman. He's from this state, and he understands the power of belief. That's what it means to be born in Oklahoma, bred in Oklahoma. And I want to talk about that in relation to OU Nebraska and what being a Sooner means to Sooners. So the statistical history goes like this. Nebraska has 967 wins. Oklahoma has 919. Nebraska has 110 first-team All-Americans. Oklahoma has 167. Nebraska has five national titles. Oklahoma has seven. Nebraska has 46 conference titles. And Oklahoma has 150. Nebraska has two Eisman winners. And Oklahoma has seven. However, since the last time that Oklahoma and Nebraska had played prior to today, Oklahoma has seen two Heisman winners, five Heisman finalists, four CFP appearances, and won seven conference titles. Nebraska has, well, not. Okies really just want Nebraska to keep their end of the rivalry is all. It's a different kind of energy in this rivalry than, say, Texas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska are more siblings than, say, even OU and Oklahoma State in more ways than one. And one of those ways, one of those reasons, is today's game between OU and Nebraska marking the 50th anniversary of the one we call the game of the century. In 1971, number one Nebraska played number two Oklahoma in a game that not only would help decide the national championship, but set up the crowning of Nebraska's first Heisman winner and the first ever wideout to win the Stiff Arm Trophy the next year. Skip Bayless was there. He who co-host FS1's Undisputed. For those that don't know, Skip is a bigger OU fan than a Dallas Cowboys fan. And if you ever heard my man Skip talk about the boys, you know just what that means. If you don't, Take these facts into account. Skip wrote 2,500 plus words for the Fox Sports app about attending the game of the century in 1971. I recommend you read it. I did, and in that piece, I learned. Skip majored in English and history at Vanderbilt. Skip has never missed an Oklahoma game. He even taped the game scores to his dorm room wall at Vanderbilt. I learned we both interned at the Oklahoma in, Oklahoman in college, and Skip drove his white 67 Camaro SS350 from Nashville to Norman so he wouldn't miss the game of the century. 
So when he wrote about being at the most watched college football game in history, where 50 million tuned their TV sets to see the Huskers and the Sooners getting buck about it, it hit different for me. Here's a sample of Skip on the click clack keyboard. Must have sounded like an Under Armour commercial in there. Quote, less than 24 hours after Brit Lit class, I was sitting five rows up from the 50-yard line watching the Sooners and the Huskers warm up. Only now do I fully appreciate that precious perch. My high school friend and teammate Bruce Scott was also attending OU on a basketball and golf scholarship. Somehow, he had finagled me a seat in the OU Letterman section. The kid from Brit Lit, who had just covered Alabama's route of Vanderbilt, was sitting pretty among OU's best athletes in sports other than football. But the day was right out of well-wuthering heights, ominously cold and gray, with winds gusting to 25 miles an hour. Nebraska was a one-point favorite at Owen Field. Seeing the Huskers up close made me sweat. In their white jerseys with their scarlet pants, they just looked bigger than our guys. Number 75, Larry Jacobson, who had won the Outland Trophy for the best interior defensive lineman. He was listed at 6'6", but looked 7 feet, Bigfoot, in helmet and pads. Defensive tackle Rich Glover, who would win the 1972 Outland, and defensive end John Dutton, who would be drafted fifth overall and eventually play for the Cowboys, looked more like buildings than football players. The Sooners in crimson jerseys and cream pants came off cooler and quicker during warm-ups. But the Huskers' pregame drills were run with scary militaristic discipline and urgency. My better judgment told me my bragging rights were in jeopardy. Understand, I grew up hating the Texas Longhorns, but I'd always had grudging respect for Nebraska, end quote. As did I, Skip. As did I. The difference in the game ended up being Johnny Rogers tossing off Greg Pruitt and running a punt back for a TD, and that's how Johnny Rogers became, for the old heads, what Darren Sproles is to my generation. I was born 16 years after the fact, with an appropriate fear of Tom Osborne, Tommy Frazier, Lawrence Phillips, Amon Green, and a quarterback who couldn't throw named Eric Crouch. Folks feared Nebraska like they feared God of the Old Testament. For that Nebraska option was the forever flood that was capable of rushing over and decimating everything you loved. You just had to hope your team made it onto the boat. Though it didn't make my list of the top five games of the century, for which I picked some from the last two centuries, of course, Oklahoma's defeat of Ohio State at the shoe is one of the most important football games of my life. It is the event most responsible for my taking the red pill from Morpheus to find out just how far down this rabbit hole goes. For four years after I made that video on a step mill at a gym in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm here now, talking college football year-round with Fox Sports. And to mark this game, I brought my framed photo of Baker Mayfield planting the OU flag to the ultimate college football road trip stop in Norman because some folks are just visual learners. In Oklahoma, the Sooners are the pro team. 
no matter what anybody tries to tell you about the OKC Thunder, even during the Kevin Durant years, fall Saturdays in Oklahoma are for church. And the cathedral in Norman is full of more than 84,000 born-again OU fans six times a year because once upon a time, OU football was all Oklahomans had. In grad school at OU, I wrote a piece for the OU Daily, the school newspaper, about that because I wanted to understand why folks I knew who couldn't stand each other agreed to root for OU come the second weekend in October when OU travels south of the Red River to play the Texas Longhorns at the Cotton Bowl. I found, unlike Texas, which was once a country unto itself, Oklahoma's self-esteem is wrapped almost entirely in being the best at college football. You see, Texas wants to be good at football. Oklahoma has to be good at football. We have to win. Through tornadoes, the OKC bombing, the Dust Bowl, the worst tragedies to ever hit this state, OU football remains. It remains because OU President George Lynn Cross, a botanist, unearthed those remains and made them the most prominent part of the university when he famously and facetiously wanted to build a university the football team could be proud of. Cross believed if Oklahoma won football games, the state would be better for it. As Coach Witzer said at the unveiling of his statue outside of the stadium on November 5th, 2011, when I was there to cover it, quote, we benefit from George Lynn Cross. He told me in 1944 when he became president of the University of Oklahoma, Oklahomans had a mass inferiority complex. He wanted to do something to combat this depression. And the best way we can do it to bring pride to ourselves and in our state is to have a winning football program, end quote. Cross and the Regents sought to recruit a winner to lead Oklahoma and found one in Jim Tatum. But Tatum didn't get the job at Oklahoma because of his coach prowess alone. No, a respectful and solemn assistant by the name of Bud Wilkinson had more to do with that. The Oklahoma sports columnist Barry Trammell, dean of sports around here, told me when Tatum interviewed, he brought Wilkinson with him, and Cross was so impressed with Wilkinson, they decided they were going to hire Tatum. But Tatum's tenure didn't last very long. The coach from McCall, South Carolina, became upset about how he was asked to coach. So after leading Oklahoma to an 8-3 and record, he quit. And he became the head coach at Maryland the following year. Meanwhile, Wilkinson was promoted and went about orchestrating 31 and 47 game winning streaks in 17 years as head coach at Oklahoma. His 1950, 1955, and 1956 national championship teams are legendary. And his mark on the university is everlasting. And his winning program helped resurrect a downtrodden state. The state of Oklahoma could be proud of its football team, of itself, once more. That's why Oklahoma football matters. It's the reason why it matters to me, too. We hustle. I hustle. We will outwork you. I will outwork you. You want to beat Noki? You better pack a lunch because we're going to be here all day. And Nebraska 
You're built the same way. Today was a demonstration of such. Yeah, you'll be back, Huskers. Next to us. Right where you belong. Stay low. Keep those feet driving. That's our show for today. Uh, the number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. Our editor is Atang Tejano. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That is it for me. Deuces. <laughs>